0: Tonight I'll be speaking on uh, finding hope in a dark time. I'm going to be reading a passage from 1 Peter chapter 5, and I'll be reading the first first ten verses. And if you would follow along, 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. The elders which are among you I exhort... Who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear... Ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, and all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth. For you be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect. Establish, strengthen, settle you. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In the last several months, this pandemic has spread around the world and hundreds of thousands have died. Economies around the world have crashed and businesses large and small have failed. They need to find hope Multitudes are out of work and destitute. Churches and schools have been closed. Families are weary to the breaking point. They need to find help. I'm hearing more and more about child abuse and spousal abuse in homes. As people become depressed and discouraged, they need to find hope. Parents need to work and children need to be in school. Right now everyone seems to be all shut up and... We need hope. Families are weary. So weary. I hear it all the time. And it's getting, like I said, to the breaking point. We have violent rioting and destruction. is filling our major city streets all around the country from coast to coast. Folks, I want to tell you tonight that we're under attack. And we're facing a serious spiritual warfare... That is now underway. Everyone says this is unprecedented. Well, that's true with respect to the volume, to the scope of it. But I have to say, this is the same old devil, and the same old attack, and his same his the same goal that he has. The, verse eight tells us that the devil, like a roaring lion, is seeking whom he may devour. Individually, we're under attack. Corporately, we're under attack. And that devil using the same old devices has just ratcheted up and things are, are getting worse and worse. The devil's goal, you would ask, well, what, does, what is it that the devil's trying to accomplish here? It's really simple. The devil wants to hinder the work of spreading the gospel. And it's affecting everyone. It affects me every Sunday morning when I get ready to come to church. But I realize we're not going to be having services. We'll have a parking lot service. But Indy, I look forward to uh, standing over there and singing and leading the singing and, and uh, seeing the expression on your face as you play the piano. I enjoy seeing all the visitors come in and, and my dear friends. And yet I know that one more Sunday we will be in the parking lot or or, or maybe a few will be assembled in here the devil is hindering the spreading of the gospel in many many churches have just shut down altogether and there's so much that's that normally goes on in spreading the gospel that's been at least minimized and that's tragic it's affecting the servants of the lord people who are used to going out and and knocking on doors and And witnessing and spreading the gospel, there's an awkwardness. People don't want to answer the door. They surely don't want you to come into their house. They don't know where you've been. And so there's a great fear and a great frustration. And uh, I feel I haven't been in this church auditorium uh, to serve as a singer, preacher, or whatever since March the 15th. I just feel so disoriented, Brother Lyle. I just feel awkward as I can be. I told my wife, I said, I feel like a newbie. And I've been doing this a lot of years. But I want to say that our job as pastors is to warn the flock of our enemy. Folks, there's a lion on the loose. A roaring lion. And he's seeking whom he may devour. And he's devouring a lot of them, Brother Lyle. Our job is to warn the flock about the enemy and to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to prepare the saints for this battle that is, as it is it is raging. The war is raging. Our calling as pastors is to promote the cause of Christ. It is not to become involved in other causes of mankind, however justified They may seem. Despite how it may appear, yes, there is hope. My message tonight is entitled Finding Hope in the Dark Time, and this is truly a dark time. It's a dark time when people cannot travel as they normally travel. There are restrictions almost everywhere you go to almost everything you do. If you go to a store, you have to they have signs on the floor. Do not go this way. Can you imagine having one-way streets down a grocery store? We have restrictions everywhere you go, in the post office, in stores, and everywhere. But as bad as it is, there is still hope. Hope is available. Our Our text tonight presents an exhortation to pastors as to how to lead the flock in such a Time is this, and in the midst of such a satanic attack, that warning includes at least this much and more, but I'll mention a few. Verse 8 says to be sober. Folks, we need to take this serious. The devil's always doing this. He's always doing it all over the world, but all of a sudden, it seems as if the whole world is within his grasp, and he's impacting every church around the country and around the world maybe. We need to be serious about the work of the Lord. It says in verse 8 also to be vigilant. You need to be on the watch, on the lookout. There are more temptations now than there normally would be. There's less accountability. We don't see each other as much. People stay at home. And when people aren't feeling accountable, often they will stray. So he says be sober. Take this. uh, Take this. Satanic attack serious. One of the most dangerous things that you will ever do is to overestimate your ability to withstand temptation and to do battle with the devil. I'm going to tell you, without the Lord's help, I'm easy prey. I'll just tell you up front, without the Lord's help, I'm no match for the devil. I hear people saying all the time, oh, just rebuke the devil. <laughs> no, when disputing with, uh, the, with the devil, the archangel didn't rebuke uh Satan, he said, the Lord rebuked thee. I want to tell you, we need the Lord's help more now than ever. Now, we always need His help. But folks, in a time of less accountability and greater temptations, we need to be taking this matter seriously. Be sober. Be vigilant. Be on the watch. When you know that if you were in a community and there was a news flash that came over the TV and it says... uh, Warning, everyone in this part of town, be on the watch. Watch out, there's a, a lion has escaped from the zoo, and this male lion is going through the community, and he's a man-eater. Oh, everybody, my moms will be saying to the kids, don't go outside. There's a lion on the loose. They'd say to their little pets, stay inside, there's a lion on the loose. Be sober, be vigilant, and then you are going to encounter him at some time, early in every day, I'm sure, as the devil comes to you with some temptation, some temptation maybe to just go easy on some of the things that you might normally have done, maybe not to read your Bible quite as much as you read it before, maybe not to spend as much time in prayer as you did, maybe not to text someone and, and express your affirmation or, or your love and concern. There are so many opportunities for negligence and failing to do things that we could have done. We can miss and neglect so many opportunities, things that many other people wouldn't know about because they don't see us, they don't know. So be sober, take it seriously, be vigilant, watch out for the devil's attack, be on the the lookout for temptations. And then when you see those, verse 9 says whom resist steadfast in the face remember who you belong to you're the Lord's child you don't belong you don't own yourself you know it's uh, you're reading this morning we do not own ourselves what know you not that ye are not your own you're bought with a price therefore glorify God in your body and your and in your spirit which are God's remember, whose child you are, and be steadfast in the faith. Resist the devil, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Folks, we're fighting the same battle. I get up in the morning, Brother Lyle, I'm fighting that same enemy. Oh, he will, he will attack me in areas of my weakness that you may not be weakened. And he will attack you, Linda, in areas that you're weak and maybe I'm not. But it's the same enemy, and it's the same goal that he has, and his goal is to frustrate our our work in the gospel of Christ. We need to be sober, be vigilant, and we we need to resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that all of our brothers and sisters around the world are dealing with that same thing. And you know what? All the more reason, Brother Lyle, to pray, all the more reason to be more diligent to pray and to read our Bibles and to go to the Lord more often and more earnestly and ask for His help and ask for His strength. Verse 10 says, But the God of all grace who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. It's sad to me, that Christians often whine when they have a little bit of discomfort. They'll whine when they have a little bit of uh, a little bit of suffering. There might be some disappointment, and they just cry and whine. And oh, I get so weary with that. I told a man one time. After he started whining a little bit, I said, the next time you have this pity party, don't forget to send an invitation to a man with the nail-scarred hands. You see, our Savior knows what it's like to be despised. He knows what it's like to be rejected. You've been rejected? So what? Our Lord knows a little bit about rejection. And so knowing that all of us, each one of us are being affected by this enemy of ours, it says after ye have suffered a while our suffering is just a brief thing it's not like we're suffering on and on and on for eternity in this life i cannot believe how fast this life is passing when i turned 40 years old my daddy said to me son i was kind of whining because i thought i was getting old i had turned 40. my dad said son One day you're 40, and you turn around, and you're 70. Wow. I didn't quite understand it when he said that. But I understand it now because I'm well beyond 70. After we've suffered a while, make you perfect. He'll make us complete. It says, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Christians are too easily unsettled. Too easily disturbed. And I'm afraid that in this country often we have it so easy we get spoiled. We don't have the hardships they had in the early church. We, ha- we have no idea what suffering is really all about. You read Fox Books, of, Book of Martyrs, and you read how those early saints suffered. Yes, I know that God spared Daniel in the lion's den, but he didn't spare all the, all the saints. A lot of them were burned at the stake and stoned to death and suffered a death by boiling in oil and tar and so many horrible deaths. But we suffered just for a while. Our Lord will establish us. He will strengthen us and He will settle us. Yes, in the midst of all our problems, there is hope. I want to read just a couple of those verses again. Verses 5 and 6 from our text. Verse 6 says, or verse 6 and 7. Verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. I have to say this. Man is an arrogant creature. Someone called me yesterday and asked the question. They were talking to someone who asked the question, if God knows all these different things, why did He do so and so? And my first reaction was, Who in the world do you think you are to ask God why He does anything? Shall the shall the, vest, shall the pot say to the potter, Why hast thou made me thus? <laughs> do you think you know more than God? Well, maybe if you were God, you would, have, you would have made heaven and not even made hell. Hey, maybe if you were God... You would just let everybody in. But if you did that, you wouldn't be a holy and a righteous God. I'll choose to believe that God is holy and righteous altogether. That He's right and all that He does is right all the time. And I'll not be so arrogant as to get in His face and say, Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Why didn't you do it this way? I told one person one time, I said, when you get to heaven, you ask him yourself, because I don't have the courage to lift my face to a holy God and say, Why did you do it this way? Maybe you got more courage than I do, but I don't have that kind of courage. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And then, verse 7. People need to find hope in the dark time. Here's the way you find hope. Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. He cared enough for you to leave heaven's glory and come to this earth and be made in the fashion of a, a sinful man, yet without sin. To walk, the, to walk the dirt trails of this earth and to smell the, the foul smells of this earth planet that we have polluted, and to be around the nasty people of a God-hating world, and loving every one of them. Loving them so much that He would be obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Yes, hope is available. We need to find hope, but I promise you that hope is available for you. I want to use a Bible story, a very familiar Bible story, To show you just how available hope is to all of us. I want to talk about Calvary. And some thieves that were hanging on the cross with Jesus. Picture the scene if you will. Calvary's mountain. Three crosses. Three men hanging on these three crosses. In the middle cross is Jesus of Nazareth. God manifest in the flesh, holy and pure, who never sinned. No, not one time. On either side was a convicted thief. Convicted, sentenced to die. And death is just hours away. Everyone would say, there's no hope for them. This is it. There's no hope for them. They're on that cross. And the countdown has begun. In just a few hours, they will face death. Each of those thieves on the cross desperately needed to find hope. Now in the beginning, there was a very clear absence of hope. We find in Matthew 27 and verse 44 that in the beginning the chief priest mocked him, the soldiers mocked him, and the thieves, both of them, railed on him and said, If thou be the Christ, save us and yourself. Both of them cast those, thought, those words in his teeth. We read in Matthew 27 44, But then there's a message of hope. Now you're going to have to use a little bit of uh, sanctified imagination at this point. Because I'm going to talk about the conversations of Calvary. Now there were conversations at Calvary. Some of them are recorded. We hear the conversation of of, uh, both of the thieves when they railed on Christ in Matthew 27. They were within an easy conversation distance. And so they both mocked him at one point but I'm convinced that some other conversations continued because of events that are recorded for us and there was a message of hope in those conversations and the conversations that we find there uh, later on and I'm fast-forwarding just a little bit one of the thieves continued to mock Jesus. The other thief had a change of heart. We had a wonderful lesson this morning from brother Lyle and he spoke briefly on this very thing. So one of the thieves had received some information during these conversations at Calvary. Now it may have been it is possible I suppose that some people gathered round the crosses to witness the crucifixion. Perhaps some of them shared some of the truth about the Lord and His purpose, why He had come, what He was suffering for, and the gift of God. But it's just as likely that the one who had the greatest amount at stake, I'm talking about Jesus Himself, shared with these these thieves enough so they could learn exactly what was going on I'll tell you this, I can't say for a fact that it was Jesus who said these things, but in the course of hanging there for hours, one of the thieves learned the following, and we we know that from what he says, beginning in Luke 23, verse 39. It says, and one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him. Well, that's the one that never had a change. He never had a change of attitude. Luke twenty three and that's verse thirty nine. And one of the male factors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, "If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us." Then in verse forty, the other thief, who had who had paid attention to some of the conversations at Calvary, and I'm I'm thinking most likely it was from Jesus as he shared. You know, we want to be good soul winners. We have, uh, we have Jesus as our example who shared with people who He was and why He was here. And I'm persuaded that as He hung there, He shared the truth with these two. Keep in mind, He was dying for them too! And He wanted them to trust Him. One did not trust Him, but one did. And we read in verse 40, after the first one mocked him and said, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. In verse 40, the other thief said, it says in verse 40, But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. You see what just happened? While he was hanging on that cross... He heard the story of the sinfulness of man and the holiness of Christ. And he accepted responsibility for his own sin. He rebuked the other thief whom just earlier he had joined in mocking Christ. But one of them had a change of heart and one of them was as if he was pleading, what in the world are you doing? You're criticizing someone who is holy and innocent. And you and I are guilty. We deserve what we're getting. We're in the presence of the Holy One. Don't you fear God? He said. For we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. He owned his sin he acknowledged the sin as the psalmist said I acknowledge my sin my sin is ever before me hanging on that cross with death only hours away one thief had a change of heart and he 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 scolded the other one for mocking the savior and then he learned not only about the sinfulness of man and the holiness of Christ but guess what He learned about the deity of Christ. In verse 42, he says, Lord. He calls him Lord. I'm so thankful for the reality that people can change. God can make you a new creature. I'm thankful He made me a new creature. I'm so glad you didn't know the old creature. I'm glad you didn't know the old Pete Pack that foul-mouthed fellow that didn't even respect himself. But God, who is rich in mercy, can change. And He changed one thief. And so after the thief had, had rebuked the other thief for mocking Jesus, he said, Lord, remember me. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Perhaps on the cross, Jesus told him of some of the things that, that he had done in his ministry as he walked the earth. Perhaps he said something to him along the lines of what he said to Martha. Perhaps hanging on that cross, he looked at that thief and, and knew that the man was paying attention. Now, you and I cannot read people's minds, but the Lord can and I believe the Lord did talk to him and give him that chance I believe he spoke to both of them one did not want to listen one did perhaps Jesus said to him as he said to Martha I am the resurrection and the life he that believeth in me though he were dead yet shall he live can you imagine hanging there and knowing that your life is literally flowing from your body your vitals are dropping and your are hours, maybe minutes, away from death. And here's a man beside you perhaps saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Those were the words he said to Martha. And I'm sure he said that to many people. But I'm especially convinced that he said it to that thief. Because... He said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. That tells me two things. First of all, he acknowledged his sinfulness and the holiness of Christ. Second, he acknowledged the deity of Jesus and called him Lord. The next thing is, he acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah and would have a kingdom according to the teachings of God's Word. And the the most wonderful thing of all, Brother Lyle, he had heard and he understood and he believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because if Jesus had died and not been raised from the dead, how could he go into his kingdom? So knowing, I believe that when Jesus spoke to that man, that he believed, as you said in your... Message this morning, brother. He believed that Jesus was the Son of God. He believed that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. And that He was the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. That he believed that Jesus was dying according to the plan of God. Not because the devil overpowered Him. Not because He couldn't complete this, the job that God had given to Him. In fact, that was the job that he came to do was to die for the sins of all mankind. And so here's a thief on the cross who in great humility, we just got through reading about humble yourselves in in the presence of God. He humbled himself and he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Now there's something that we have to acknowledge here. Right away we have to acknowledge that Jesus, being God, knows the hearts of all men. And when this man said that, I want to say that he knew his heart. He knew that that man believed on him. And I want to talk just for a moment about the reality of hope. He desperately needed to find hope, and he found it in Jesus. They were crucifixion mates, and in his dying hour, Jesus said to him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now, those students of the scripture know that paradise is a reference to that place of comfort that the righteous dead were awaiting the uh, removal of their sin, when the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, would take away the sin of the world. In John chapter 1 verse 29, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. But until that sin was taken away, the righteous dead waited in a place called Abraham's bosom. You remember the story in Luke 16 about a rich man who died and there was a beggar named Lazarus. Sometimes in my preaching, I get him reversed. One time I had Lazarus in hell three times. But you remember how the rich man died, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. He said, I'm tormented in this flame. And then it said that the beggar died, and the angels carried him away into Abraham's bosom, that place called paradise. Now Jesus, knowing that that man was had believed on him, gave him this incredible, unique promise. He said, Verily, you can take it to the bank. Verily I say unto thee, today, not someday, way off in the wild blue yonder, not maybe not some uh, possibility, today thou shalt be with me in that place of comfort as they would await the three days before Jesus' resurrection. He was announcing their meeting. Now as you know, Jesus died first. The soldiers went around to break the legs of the of the uh, thieves. And they came to Jesus who was already dead. Well guess what? He was almost dead when he got to, to the cross. They beat him about to death. And so he died before they did. And so when Jesus said. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He was uh, announcing their meeting. And being together. I love it when he said. Today thou shalt be with me. Jesus said uh, Now if I go and prepare a place for you, come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Can you think of anything better, Brother Lyle, than to be with Jesus? To be with Him. To be invited. To be His invited guest. To be with Him. And that celebration, when Jesus went to announce deliverance to the captives, as it were, as He announced to them, that the debt is canceled, paid in full. And in just three days, we're going to bust out of this place. Oh my. I don't know if the angels came to carry that thief away, but the Lord kept His promise, I can tell you that. The thief on the cross desperately needed to find hope and he was in about as dark a place as you could ever possibly imagine. But in that dark, dark place, he found hope in Jesus. As the Lord spoke to him and let him know your time's running out, but your answer's right here. This blood that's being shed is for your sin. And you need only trust in me. One thief said, no way. And the other thief said, remember me. I'm, I call this dying grace. When I was in Bible college, I wrote a paper one time called Dying Grace. And I was reading through the Fox Book of Martyrs and other works that describe the death of the martyrs in the early church. And I have to confess to you, it was It was gory. It was downright scary. As I read that, I I thought, what in the world would I do in that situation? When these people were given the opportunity to be set free if they just renounced Christ, and they absolutely flat out refused and said, do what you will, I belong to Jesus. And Jesus belongs to me. I love that song. And so the martyrs died gruesome deaths. But as they did... Do you know that many of them sang hymns of praise as they took their last breath? In pain and torture beyond description, they sang the praises of God. How could they do that? I'll tell you how. The Lord gave them dying grace. Now to show you just what dying grace would be like, imagine the thief on the cross. Imagine, Brother Dustin, if you were that thief and you're hanging there. And the the pain was so excruciating, you just can't imagine such pain. But one thief had the Lord's promise that when this suffering is over and you breathe your last, you and I are going to paradise and you're going to be with me. Oh my, I think the thief hanging there with the Lord's promise said, I can take it, I can handle whatever you have, Bring it on. I am going to be with Jesus. I want to call your attention to a few observations. He did not ask to be forgiven. He did not ask for mercy. He did not say a sinner's prayer. He knew that he was a sinner. He said to that other Thief, we deserve what we're getting, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. But he didn't ask to be forgiven. You know, he knew the Lord's heart. I believe in that conversation he understood it very well. I think he was ears wide open as the Lord was talking. Because he was speaking of hope. In that dark time, Jesus was speaking hope to that thief, and he was all ears He heard about the love of Jesus that knows no bounds. He heard about the mercy of Christ which is deeper than the deepest sea. He heard about the desire of Christ to save whosoever would come unto Him. He did not ask to be forgiven. He simply believed on the Lord. And he called on the name of the Lord. He said, Lord. Remember me. As if to say, I'm not worthy to ask for forgiveness. But he knew he needed it. He knew he wanted it. But more than that, I believe in that conversation at Calvary, the thief knew that Jesus was eager to give it. And in that simple phrase, Lord. Remember me. He was calling on the Lord. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He asked only to be remembered. You know, sometimes people become all hung up on the wording of a sinner's prayer. One time in Turkey, I was preaching and a young man, a young teenager came forward and asked if he could be saved. And I, I had a, a, an assistant back then, and the assistant went over to counsel him. And uh, in just a moment, when most everyone else had left, and this teenage boy was still bowing and praying, and the assistant came over to me and he said, Brother Pete, I've got a problem. I said, what's your problem? He said, well, he's not saying it right. I said, well, brother, what are you talking about? He said, well, I'm trying to get him to say it a certain way and, and ask the Lord to, and to say the sinner's prayer, but he's just not remembering and not getting it right. And I said, "What well, what do you want him to say? I said, let me talk to the boy. And I asked the boy, I said, during this message, did you realize that you were a lost sinner? That you deserved no part of heaven whatsoever because you are a sinner yeah I said do you hear and believe that God loved you and sent his son to die in your place and shed his blood to take away your sins he said yes and I said and you are receiving Jesus as your savior believing that he died for you and rose again he said that's right I said let's just praise him together (laughs) It doesn't matter how you word the prayer. Can I tell you what happened to me? On October the 18th, 1963, I was a teenage boy, sitting back there about six or seven rows back, and the old preacher was preaching in that revival meeting. I, I'd been under conviction for months. And every time I go to church, I just it feel like I would be on fire. And that night I went chasing chum, some pretty young girl and And got there late and had to sit with her brother. Didn't do a thing for me. And so I tuned into the preacher. My goodness. Well, he went right back to that same passage. And whosoever's name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And I thought, oh, not again. Why do you have to pick that verse? And I'd been resisting the Lord for so long, I finally, in my heart, I said, no more. I am receiving Jesus right now. Yes, I went down the aisle. Yes, I bowed on my knees. And yes, I offered whatever prayer I could come up with. But you know when I got saved, that very split second I said, Lord Jesus, I'm not fighting you anymore. I receive you as my Savior. Yes, I made a public profession of faith. And that's something that people should do. But my salvation came with the heart Man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That is to say it makes it known. The same way we baptize people right here as a visible sign of their faith in Christ. A witness by water that now we too are the sons of God raised to walk in newness of life. Has nothing to do with us getting saved. But it's a witness that we have been saved. And that word of mouth, where with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth we proclaim it to others. Yes, Brother Lyle, you were so right today. Oh, not as the demons who believe and tremble, they have an awareness, a cognizance of the, of the deity of Jesus, who He is and why He came, and all that and all of His power. They know it. They believe it's true, but they're not committing. They're not receiving. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on His name. I love that lesson today, brother. I love Romans 10, 9, and 10, and 13. We quote them so many times here. And I'll say this. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I want to say this today. When Paul spoke the Gospel to the believers of Corinth, he said that Jesus came, that He died on the cross, He was buried, and He rose again. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the strength of the gospel. It's the centerpiece of the gospel. It proves His person and His power. And it shows that He has the authority to offer you eternal life. It shows that He has the power to help you live the life. People say, well, I couldn't live it. Well, you're right, you can't. And neither can I. And neither can you, except for the fact that He has risen again and His resurrection power lives in us. And He is our strength. He is our power. And we do not worship a martyr. Yes, He loved us. Yes, He died on the cross. But let's not fail to say that He rose from the dead. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. I love that part. And then verse 13, our pastor is so faithful to quote this, Whosoever shall call, On the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm thinking today about that thief. Oh, how he needed to find hope. Do you think he imagined as they put him on that cross? Do you think that that thief who got saved later on, do you think he had any idea that this day that I'm dying for my evil deeds, I will become a new creature? I will be born again. I will become one of God's children. I will go to be with the righteous dead. I promise you it never entered his mind. But guess what? He was a crucifixion mate of the Savior. And he opened his heart and he accepted the Lord Jesus. He believed in his heart unto righteousness. I want to close my message by simply saying that Christian friends we need to find hope. Yes, we've trusted Christ as Savior. Yes, our names are in the book of life and we're a new creature. But our days are filled with struggles, trials, and conflicts with that roaring lion who seeks to devour us. Our hearts are heavy and our minds are troubled. We need hope. I Many have financial obligations, and their cupboards are pretty thin. Their tires are pretty, their treads pretty bare, and their gas tanks are kind of empty. And they need to find hope. Our way of worship has changed, and our schools are shut down. We need to find hope. We don't need to give up. We don't need to be discouraged. Oh, we get discouraged, but we don't want to stay discouraged. I would go back from serving in the whole mission work of church planting, and I go visit in the churches, (laughs) and people come up to me and they say, Now, don't get discouraged. I say, You're a little bit late for that. But I don't stay discouraged. I strengthen myself in the Lord. And oh, how we just carry on. We need to find hope. And our hope is realized as we cast all our care upon the Lord. Casting all your care upon Him, on Jesus, for He careth for you. If He would go to the cross and suffer, suffer the humiliation and suffer the shame and the pain and agony of it all, and above all to bear in this holy person, the sins of the world, if He would care that much for you, Brother Lyle, don't you think He'll care about you when your heart's troubled and when your mind is so bogged down with care? Oh yes, I love the song, don't you, Andy? Does Jesus care? Isn't that a wonderful song? Because it answers the question. Oh yes, He cares. I know he's cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, and the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Casting all your care upon Him. For He careth for you. Maybe there's someone watching our broadcast tonight. And you've never trusted Christ. You've never claimed Him as your own. You've never received Him as your Savior. I have to tell you something tonight. You are in just as... Dire situation as that thief was on the cross. Hours from death because you may not have hours. You may only have minutes. I had been witnessing to a man named Frank on the job in 1975. And I would tell him about the Savior. How Jesus died and rose again. And how he would love to save him. And i say, Frank, wouldn't you like to trust Christ tonight? Oh yeah, but not tonight. Oh yeah, but maybe tomorrow. This went on for a long, long time. One evening at the end of our 4 to 12 shift, Big Frank came up to me and he had his headsets in his hand ready to clock out. And he said, uh, He said, Pete, I've been thinking about what you told me and I know I need to get saved and I want to get saved. I said, good. I said, we'll, we'll just get saved right now. He said, well, we'll do it after, I, after we get off work. I said, Frank, what if you die between now and walking to the gate? What if your heart quit? What if somebody dropped a bomb on this complex and you didn't have a moment to, to turn to the Lord and receive Him? I said, why don't you just right now trust Him as your Savior? He took his cap off. That big, big giant of a man hung his head right in the middle, in the midst of all these military guys. And out loud, he said, Lord Jesus, I am such a sinner. Would you save me, oh Lord? Would you be my Savior? (laughs) He went back to his desk and took out one of the gospel tracts that I gave him. I told him, I said, Frank, I want you to write on that gospel tract, What Happened to You Tonight? I still have the track. And on the track he wrote, this guy named Pete's been talking to me about Jesus. And I kept telling him no. But finally I gave in to the Lord and claimed Jesus as my Savior. And he said, all of a sudden it seems as if the weight of the world was just lifted up. And you know that's what that word in the Greek means? When John the Baptist said... uh, Behold the Son of God that taketh away the sin of It is to say, that lifteth up the sin of the world. I was telling Frank, you need to find hope, and you'll have hope in Christ. And he claimed it. To those of you who are unsaved, and you really, really understand that you're lost, and you have heard how this God, creator God, the one who made the universe, came in the person of Jesus, lived a holy and a sinless life, a perfect and holy life. And as a, as a perfect and beautiful Lamb of God went to the cross, and His blood was shed to take away the sin of the whole world, mine, yours, 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 and all of you who are watching. Unsaved person, I ask you right now, In the quiet of this very moment, if you believe that Jesus died and shed his blood for your sins, if you believe that he rose again, in whatever words you choose to use, claim him as your Savior. Call out to him. Oh, do like that little boy did, like Frank did, said, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not worthy of heaven, but I believe that you love me and I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and I believe you rose from the dead and I'm taking you as my Savior right now. Won't you do that? Won't you claim Christ right now as we bow our heads? In the quiet of this moment, as we who are gathered in this auditorium, I'm going to ask you who are gathered here with me tonight, pray earnestly at this moment for that one who's watching and who does not know that they're headed for heaven right now if they should die. Would you join me in praying for that one? And oh, if you're watching and you, you know that you need to trust Christ as Savior, do so. In your own words, confess your sins. Confess your love for Christ and your faith in Him and claim Him as your own. Lord Jesus, Oh, how unworthy we are to bear your holy name. Lord Jesus, would you in love the same way you loved that thief on the cross? Would you love that one who's watching the broadcast tonight? Would you reach out and touch their heart? Oh God, with great conviction, draw them, O oh Lord, as you said. Now if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. Lord, would you draw that one right now? And to that one who's watching, I'll just ask you one more time. This may be your last chance. You need to find hope like that thief on the cross and he found it in Jesus and you can find hope in Jesus. Will you trust Him right now? I pray you will. In Jesus' name. Now then, if you've trusted Christ as you watch this worship service tonight, would you let us know? Oh, it would be so encouraging to know that One more sinner has come home. One more person has claimed the wonderful gift of eternal life. I'm so thankful tonight that he loved me, that he accepted me.